Welcome back to our podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. My name is Robert, and I'm back in the studio here with Andrew. Hey, how's it going? And Courtney. Hello. All right. So, guys, this is a this is a heavy topic, a big topic, and from what it looks like, we may be doing several episodes on this. So, Andrew, I know. Let's just start yeah. with what the Bible has to say about this. Let's just let's just go ahead. Just take it away. Well, I think it's interesting. All the topics we seem to talk about are heavy or big topics, and this is kind of in that same vein. I uh, I feel like I have a lot of experience in this area. I've had, you know, supernatural things happen to me. I've, it's just part of mm-hmm. the world we live in. But oftentimes I think believers don't really have a great grasp or understanding, even non-believers. We just don't really think about it or really seek to understand why or how mm-hmm. it happens or for what reasons. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today. And uh, Yeah. So, so what does the Bible have to say about spiritual warfare? It's got so much to say. It's got a lot you could you could venture into. Um, but the some of the main ones would be passages like Ephesians 6, where it talks about, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual authorities and principalities and, and things like that. And then... Um, 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world, but on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So Mm -hmm. these are, how do we interpret these as Christians? What impact do they have on our day-to-day lives? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what we wanted to talk about today. So I think jumping right into some things here, uh, let's just ask kind of a fun question that people think about. Do we have a guardian angel? Uh-huh. What do we think about that? Let's just kind of use this as a springboard. So so I'm, I'm going to read some literature here. Matthew 18.10. Let's pull that up real quick. It talks yeah. about how children may have their angel in heaven before God. So let's pull that up real quick. Yeah, Matthew 18.10 mm-hmm. out of the New American Standard says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you, their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So a lot of people take that verse and say, it's interesting that the word there, their angels, that that phrase, that combination is used because it would imply, at least some people think it implies, Mm -hmm. that everyone has a guardian angel. Like a specific angel. Like I got Bob and you've got Phil. Exactly. Robert has. Sure. Tony. Tony. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. And are they all boys? <laughs> That's another good some, question. Some people, I know the one, the one, uh, the author of this literature specifically believes that every, well, every time an angel shows up, it's always male. Yeah. So, but then actually, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but someone like Blake Healy in his book, The Veil, he has all sorts of, he's, he's, he claims to see in the spirit and he said that he's seen all, all sorts of things. So again, these are just different perspectives. Yeah. But as far as a specific angel, are we thinking that there's one assigned to us or are there just angels that are guardians in our life? Like they guard us all or they move around depending on, are they assigned? You know, can I send my guardian angels to protect my mom one Mm. day? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. how's that work? Yeah. So here's, so then getting into another verse real quick that might help us answer this, uh, Courtney, to your question is Hebrews one fourteen regarding ministering spirits. And so he says uh, in one fourteen, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So this is kind of talking about a believer. So someone who 
believes in Christ is then given. And so I know the author of literature I was reading before, he says that, so all children have a guardian angel. I guess he believes in some sort of age of accountability, which then, you know, depending on whether they choose to believe in Christ, um, they would then be assigned another, you know, so this is, this, this is one perspective that I'm, that I'm looking at, you know, if, if this is true. So yeah, are they not all ministering, ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So yeah. Um, and that's in the King James. So piggybacking off of the Matthew 10, I've heard mm-hmm. two prevailing interpretations. There's one that says each person has a guardian angel, and I'm, I'm not opposed to that. I think yeah. there are, we read in Revelation that there are innumerable angels, so I don't think it's impossible that each person could have one or maybe more angels to their, mm-hmm. to their soul, to their spirit. Uh, but getting back to it, the first interpretation is that everyone has a an angel following them or guarding over them, a guardian angel. And then the second interpretation is that the angels are waiting for commands from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So the context of Matthew 18 is not causing a little child to stumble, not causing them to sin. Mm-hmm. And so the angels are waiting for the command to God to step in and defend that person, defend that child. Yeah. And so they're just waiting on the command. So it would be one one view kind of takes it. Each person has a guardian angel. The other interpretation is that the angels are ministering spirits just waiting for God to give them the command, almost like attack dogs. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that that's, that's interesting. Um, how about we – so we've been talking about angels. Let's talk about demons now. Let's let's kind of let's. That's just, a, that's a big jump. Flip it. Well, yeah, I mean, kind fair. of, I guess. <laughs> just, well, who are the angels fighting? Yeah. And so, um, I want to yes. kind of just jump right in here. Let's let's talk about can a believer can a believer be possessed or oppressed by a demonic entity, force, demon, uh, and second. Um, what maybe what's the difference between possession and oppression? You know, what is what does that look like? So so is demon possession real? How about we just ask that? Yes. Okay. So I think so, unfortunately. I believe so. so I mean the Bible obviously talks about demon possessed people. I think we've I mean, maybe you have do we have any stories? Yeah, so well, let's like define what you're talking about first a little bit. Okay. So demon possession versus oppression. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there are several people that make this clarification in the New Testament when it's talking about someone being possessed. The wording in the original language is more like demonized. It's not Mm -hmm. demonic. There's not like a... My words are failing me right now. But essentially, people like Derek Prince or other... If you look at Moody Bible commentaries, they, they make a good distinction that people are demonized where the mm-hmm. demon is attacking or in some cases like in scripture with the demoniacs he was possessed by the demon yeah i actually found the word the keyword is dem i don't know how to say it it's greek uh demonzoni which means to be demonized which means to be controlled by a demon from within okay uh this word that is i'm reading from uh dr arnold fruchtenbaum's demonology uh, article uh, just for those of you interested. But yeah, this is the word that's frequently translated as possessed by a demon. The problem with this translation is that the Greek word for possession is never used in conjunction with demons. What is found is always this Greek word, uh, daemon, daemonzomai, 
or to be controlled from a demon within. Rather than identifying or translating the term as demon possession, implying ownership by the demon, it would be far wiser to simply translate it as a demonic control. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's good. And I think he even holds to how this, again, getting into can a believer be affected? Um, and he would hold that, yes. And that's why I draw this distinction yeah. between oppression and possession because it's helpful. Right. Um, so we're possession not... meaning that you're out of your own control. Mm-hmm. You are being controlled by something. Is that what we're saying? I think possession would be more like the demon or Satan owns you. And I don't think that's possible for a believer, a right. born-again believer, because right. we are new creations. We are we're born of the spirit and we are owned mm. and possessed by Christ. We are in Christ. We are under his blood. Already occupied. Right. You can't you can't have a demon mm-hmm. sort of you can't have a demon indwelling Inhabit. that person's body, right? Inhabiting that person is off the table. But I still believe, I think there's a lot of empirical evidence to suggest that even Christians can be oppressed. Absolutely. And or controlled from not owned without not controlled by the outside force, but affected by it. Yes, even deeply sometimes, more than you would anticipate or expect. Yeah, so just looking through more more literature here, um, can a believer be demonized? And so uh, this author makes a distinction by ownership, no. We are purchased by Jesus. You know, we are his now. We, we can't be possessed by a demon. But he says he makes a distinction— if the question is, can a believer be controlled by a demon from within, the answer is yes. There are two passages that make this clear, and he points to Acts 5, 1 through 4, the case with Ananias and Sapphira, when Peter asks, why has Satan filled your heart, using the Greek word that Paul uses in Ephesians five eighteen when he spoke of being filled with the Spirit. So just as to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, so to be filled with Satan means to be controlled by Satan. The Holy Spirit controls from within, and so then must Satan since the same Greek word is used. The Bible does teach that a believer can be controlled by a demon from within. So that's, he gives another passage as well. That's a lot. That's a lot there. Yeah. So so th- that means yes, not by possession as an ownership, but can a person be controlled and... Influenced, yeah. In, or, controlled or influenced or yeah. made to do things against their will. It's it's a heavy sort of conversation to have. I Next, I'd like to go through some of these symptoms of... And I think this is helpful for some of our listeners out there. Um, that I've I've personally experienced, uh, I'd say, all of these symptoms that he lists as evidence of being under demonic control or influence. And so I'm going to read these off chronologically, and then just let's just open conversation about them. So the first one he says is physical disease. Never had that. Mental derangement, deep depression, self-reproach, suicide, passivity, immorality, and bitterness. Uh, and I believe, oh, drug abuse, psychic power. Well, it goes on. So there's quite a few here. Oh, animal-like tendencies, restlessness during Bible reading, multiple personalities. We can get into that some other time. So the, he he sees all of this as symptoms of someone under demonic control. Thoughts? A lot of those things also are symptoms of sin. You mm. notice that? Wonder if they're related. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can I say that? Obviously, they're related. Yeah, I think, yeah, those are really interesting because oftentimes we think about all those sorts of things, like depression. Yeah, okay, it's a chemical imbalance. I that's how mm-hmm. we view it today. Yeah. There's clinical depression, and then there's I can't I can't remember exactly the right phrase for it. Casual what, seasonal depression. No, I mean, it's it's uh, 
there's clinically diagnosed depression, which is long-term, and then there's more uh, sporadic bouts of depression that people mm-hmm. go through. And uh, it's interesting that just using depression as an example, because I've experienced that personally, mm-hmm. but we often kind of look at it, we look at these things and think, this can't be a demon. This is this is how things are. This is our body. This mm-hmm. is it's a medical okay. issue. It's a medical issue. Okay. It's just a symptom of this world that we live in. It's not actually caused by anything spiritual. I think we forget about the spiritual aspect of of life sometimes. So you're you're just to restate, you're not negating the physical aspect of depression, but we're also saying that there is a spiritual component that we are not always looking at. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this gets into some other stuff about how we, this is something that's, you know, kind of gets on my nerves sometimes, but how we view the world sometimes just through, we try to explain, we need to be able to understand everything naturalistically. And if we have like a biological understanding of what's going on, it means that there's no uh, spiritual side effect or component. Or, component. Yeah, that's a, that's a better word. Um, and I think that's the com- the complexity here is we're trying to, trying to sort out that like we live in a world that just tries to usually address the physical um, and what I appreciate about like Christian counseling and some of this is like trying to use both trying to say okay well we're looking at this biologically and through our, our systems of psychology again I mean I don't think Sigmund Freud was a Christian and he developed a system of psychology that I believe was isn't very Christian and we could have a whole you know we have we have secular scientists defining and creating structures that we're then implementing into Christian worldviews. Yeah. They don't mesh perfectly or mesh at all, such as, well, we're not going to say, we're going to save some for other time. But again, so just what is positive out of some of these structures? How how do they sometimes, uh, you know, contradict the Christian faith? But we're trying to also look for, like, understanding how we as Christians can, you know, take the biblical worldview and see the spiritual realm and see the scientific realm and and then help someone. So... Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we tend to see that a lot. The Enlightenment and the movement uh, during the mm-hmm. late Renaissance and the Enlightenment and then the um, uh, the 17th and 18th centuries and the push for rationalism was definitely kind of piggybacked or carried into the church, mm-hmm. Protestant church, and I think we've taken it too far in, in some areas. I think it's done a lot of great things for... Christianity, and I don't don't want to slander that in any way, but at least in so far as how we view spiritual things, it's in that it can't it's, necessarily be explained, right? It's, I think it's watered down how we view spiritual things or how we interpret mm-hmm. very kind of supernatural passages in Scripture. How do we how do we interpret them without a spiritual component, without some sort of legitimate spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes that we don't actually see? Well, mm-hmm. what weapons are we talking about? Like it references in yeah. in Second Corinthians ten, or or we battle not against flesh and blood in Ephesians six eighteen, I believe it is. How do we interpret that? How do we look at these things? I think mm-hmm. it's important to think deeply about these things. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. I I just I get frustrated when when this exactly happens. Sometimes we approach something with a anti super, and this this doesn't always happen, but sometimes you'll you'll find in literature a you know, a, a downplaying of certain, um, and I think we talked about this with the Nephilim, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, as an example, just, you know, how do we interpret, you know, this crossing over between the spiritual and the physical? Yeah. One, one book that I will kind of point people to as an introduction, mm-hmm. it sounds kind of basic and kind of silly sometimes, but C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, I think is 
extraordinarily insightful into the sort of spiritual warfare that goes on behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. I, granted, it's it's fiction, but I think Lewis touches on some things that most people don't necessarily think of. It's very insightful in in how the demonic might influence or try to attack the believer, how, to, how they might mm-hmm. seek to destroy or um, prevent believers from getting into heaven. It's, it's really interesting. But Lewis talks about these two demons that seek to essentially destroy the faith of a brand new Christian. And mm-hmm. he progresses down the road of genuine faith towards God while these demons seek to destroy what he is trying to pursue. No, I, I actually, I read parts of that book. I haven't gotten through it myself, but I remember him talking about a, you know, the de- he describes it like a thought train. The demon sees the thought train headed to the, if I believe I'm, if I'm quoting this right, but, um, you know, and they're trying to subvert the way that he perceives something. This actually leads me to my next point. There's a book called The Veil by Blake Healy. Um, I'd say it's a pretty controversial book. Um, Blake Healy claims to, a uh, Christian, claims to be able to see in the spirit. Um, and, and I read the whole book. I was blown away. I really was. And he, he touches on a lot of these things that we've been, we've been talking about. You like know, what? Just like he, you know, he sees angels. He sees lights. You know, the, the movement of, you know, dark force. He, you know, growing up, he says, I believe when he was nine, he um, had night terrors every single night. And um, he was seeing grotesque things you know uh, murder and and rape and just just every night and the yeah. you know the a radio would turn on in his room I, I believe and it would turn to a certain it would just have this horrible crackling noise even when he unplugged the radio the radio would turn, wow. continue to turn on and he, he talks a little bit about this as a child this was like the negative side of his gift he says um, he actually talks about how psychics so people who claim to be psychics he says they have the same gift he has but they're misusing it and he actually talks about how there's this he's walking down uh some, you know, one of the beaches, Santa Monica, somewhere in California, uh, down the beach walkway. And there's, you know, there's shops and all sorts of stuff. And there's a psychic there. And he says, he saw on her, on her face, it, this is his, his, what he's, his story, what he says he sees. Uh, in the spirit, he saw she was wearing a, just a pair of beautiful golden glasses, but they were rusted over. And he says it was a picture of the gift that God gave him and gave her, this, this other psychic. She had the same gift, but they were rusted and cracked and distorted because she wasn't using them the way God had given. And my, my mom actually always told me that, you know, when I was a kid growing up. It's like an irrevocable gift of God. It's something he's given you, and you can use it for evil. So, like, when I pass psychics, you know, and I see them, you know, you know, psychic come in and or on the street or their shops, you know, it's like these are, I really believe they're people with real gifts that God has given. I don't just downplay them. These are idiots. These people are making stuff up. I'm sure those people are out there, you know, just lying. But I think some of these people are using a gift God has given them either for selfish gain or incorrectly. Um, and I want to I want to read a little bit about uh, some of the quotes from this book just to spur some thought and conversation. Um, so in, in I believe it's page fifteen of his book, he talks to God. You know, he's talking to God, and he says, "I asked God what a spirit was one day. He said that a spirit is raw identity." the genetic code that tells everything else how to exist. Your spirit exists outside of time and is everything you will ever be. In fact, everything you are is so unique and complex that it is only fully expressed over the course of your entire life. You would probably say that you are a different person now than you were 5, 10, or 50 years ago. Your spirit is all of that all at once, and it is also everything you will ever be. Your life is an expression of the spirit that God created. Life certainly isn't perfect, but knowing that the original blueprint is always available convinces me that it 
it most certainly could be. Um, and he goes on later uh, to talk about, he, he talks about when you're becoming a Christian, God is literally recreating you into that perfect design that he had. So the original person. The original spirit, blueprint that God had for who I you are. And I and so I, I bring that up because I think when I read that, I was like, wow, this is this is kind of interesting because what let's say he's right. You know, the spirit is this blueprint that God has that is you. It, it it gave me such an identity of like, what is the image of God? How are we unique? Because something, you know, kind of growing up as a Christian, you know, like my righteousness is defined in Christ. I, I kind of felt like it was impersonal and like, you know, Jesus, you know, God really is looking at Jesus when he sees me. So, you know, I'm not really that special and nothing I do. No, this really shows the unique creativity of God that each and every person, saved and unsaved, is made uniquely. And so that is reflected in their spirit. That is reflected in their life. Sin is the distortion and marring of that. And so um, the reason I bring that up is just I, I think those are some interesting reflections to be had there. Um, yeah, go ahead. So tie that back into spiritual warfare. How does that relate exactly? Well, he yeah, and later he talks about how demons have power over you. And he says that a demon only has power. This is on page 28 of his book, I believe. Demons only have power over you when you believe their lies. And you have the power to believe. Let me let me actually. So you have to believe them, believe in their power for them to affect you? Let me, yes. Yeah, so let's, let me see if I can find it. Because I thought they were tricksters and they. He says despite that. Despite what we think about them, they still have. He says right here. Okay. Lies are the only power that demons have, and lies are only powerful if you believe them. If I hadn't had this, so he he tells a story about his friend. The freedom comes from believing the truth, like the scriptural truth. God, like this is what the Bible is. It's telling you this is the truth. This is really how things yeah. are. You know, God really does love you. Yeah. God really did do this. God, you know, really does have a, you know. And so in my own personal testimony, like believing that God is kind of apathetic, believing that God is, ang- you know, selfish, for example. You know, there's certain lines that I've had to wrestle with and understand. And me kind of exploring the Trinity and these other things have really shown me the heart of God, you know, his love, his selfless love, his, you know, his glorifying of man, you know, being co-heirs with Christ, you know, later being glorified. So I think all of these are helpful. But anyway, tying this back. So this, the spirit, so the original blueprint that you have, I believe really becomes marred when, when the, when, when we're lied to and we believe these lies as like an ongoing Christian in our daily life, what, what are we really battling with? We're dealing with lies in the battleground of our mind. And I encounter this every single day. Every single day I have to get up and I, I've even just started to realize like lie thought patterns where it's like not even, it's like not even something that I think about anymore, but it'll come back. And I'm like, I know, I, I almost wonder, is it demonic? Because it's like a certain thought about God. I'll hear something and I'll start to, and I'll start to subconsciously kind of go back into that old way of thinking. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not true. Yeah. So would you say that spiritual warfare is an attack against the image of God on individuals? Because mm. not just believers face spiritual attack. Yeah. Lots of unbelievers do, too. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's—how how would you phrase that? Would you say it's, it's to both, attack right? and destroy God's creation, to destroy any anything? They can, right? To undermine the undermining of God. They hate everything that is God. If God is, I, I believe God is everything perfect, balanced, whole, complete, beautiful. And sin is the absence of all of that. Okay. And so that's the, good. And so the demons are just, they're, they're not good, but that's helpful for this conversation. <laughs> I think it's interesting just to jump off of that because 
believers are the ones that have the spiritual weapons and authority to combat this. Mm-hmm. Protection. Protection from the Holy Spirit, uh, insight through his word, and scripture says that God's word is is the sword, the sword of the spirit, so that we can combat these lies from the enemy to defend ourselves, to defend others who may not even know. I yeah. think that's, I like the way you have phrased it, the way you've set it up. Yeah. Um, I Why don't we, do you think we could transition to some stories? I think that would be helpful. And then just use that kind of as a springboard. Maybe for sure. other ideas. And I know because I know we've got a lot of stories. And I think that's what's really gonna just illustrate some of this. So yeah. Andrew, why don't you just go ahead and share some of your stories? I got a lot of stories. Um well, I remember when I first started kind of taking my faith seriously. Um, there were there were a lot of weird things that happened. Uh I started reading my Bible consistently and going to church regularly again and uh, praying regularly, and I noticed things changed a little bit. Um, lights would go on and off in my bedroom on their own. Uh, my bed would shake, and there wasn't any reason for it to be shaking. I, I like this was very very unusual for me. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that that just kind of put me on edge, and I think it was kind of, I think this demonic attack was trying to kind of slip me up and get me to fear or worry, mm-hmm. but obviously God had other intentions. Um, I remember uh, one night I had come back from a prayer group, and when I first started going to this prayer group, I was terrified of praying out loud. It was just something that made me extremely uncomfortable. My heart would race, and I would get short of breath, and I just mm-hmm. wouldn't want to do it. Um, but I asked for prayer that night that I would be able to pray out loud. And it's interesting because that night I went home and um, I got out of my car, I was walking in, and as I looked up at my house, I could see my bedroom from how I was entering the home. It just looked darker. My my bedroom looked darker. It was It was unusual. And I just had this sort of uncomfortable feeling all that night. I don't know why, but in retrospect, I do. I didn't know at the time why, but in retrospect, I do now. I remember feeling like there were eyes behind me just sort of watching me. And in tandem with wanting to be able to pray out loud, at this time in my life, I was coming out of a deep decade-plus-long struggle with pornography and lust and, and things like that. And it was just the Holy Spirit was working in my life and reshaping me, reshaping how I thought and how I, I behaved and how I did things and how I even responded to the Lord and his promptings. So that night I was going to bed. I had gotten ready for bed. I was praying and I fell asleep that night. I think this was just before Easter, actually. Um, I fell asleep and I had this I had this dream I was in a church parking lot and my friends were getting into their cars going somewhere and I was getting into my car to go with them but there was a woman in my dream who was walking and uh she had men walking it's hard to it's hard to describe a dream but this is mm-hmm. this was yeah. one of my experiences she had men walking around her, beside her, almost in military formation, but they looked like they were 
for lack of a better phrase, they look like they were just mind-controlled sort of zombies. They're just doing what they were doing. They were and, enthralled or something. Yeah, like she had some sort of control spell over them or control over them. But there was I remember there was a spot that was open next to her for, I guess, me. And she slapped my chest. Like, we made eye contact. And then she hit my chest with her hand. And I felt like this almost like water running through me. It was very, very unsettling. And I realized that it started to burn and I was in pain and I didn't know what was going on. And then I realized in my nightmare, this was a nightmare because it was starting to terrify me, I realized that I was in physical pain. My body was actually in physical pain. And I felt a hand like grabbing me. I felt I felt like I was being choked or squeezed and I... I freaked out. I woke up. I could feel a hand on me. I don't know how to explain it, but I tore off my covers. I had woken up at this point. I freaked out. I think I uh, may have used some choice language, and I just rebuked whatever. I didn't even know what was going on, but I just rebuked anything that was in the room, and I was praying out loud, and it's kind of funny the way it all turned around, but that was that was one example I have of spiritual warfare, spiritual attack. I think mm. that is definitely one of the more, um, I, I can't think of the word, that's a non-normative case, I think, for mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Most most people don't have a story like that or a testimony like that, but that is what happened to me. Mm. I, I want to share a few things. Like I think our last podcast, I shared a few things about my own experience with sleep paralysis and whatnot, but yeah. Just today at lunch, I was uh, speaking with uh, my boss actually for uh, uh, in the cafeteria, and she was telling me about something that happened about a year ago, I think, about just you know a friend in the neighboring room was, uh, I guess, doing things they shouldn't have been doing or, or something like that, you know. And she, she didn't go into specifics, but she she believed it opened a door or something that allowed this to go on. But anyway, she was saying that you know, just night terror after night terror. I'm not sure how long this went on for, um, maybe a few days. But then she was praying, you know, God, protect me. You know, God, you, you're in control. You know, I'm, I'm not going to fight this thing, whatever it is. And she told me that she was in a half, you know, half awake state. Um, and she saw a dark presence approaching her and she started to get scared. Um, but at that same time, she saw a light presence come in and hold it there all night, she said, all night. Um, and I think that that's, I just think that's interesting. And then second to that, she also said the mirror was shaking and stuff like that. I have another friend here who worked here during the summer, and he says on multiple occasions he's seen uh, shadow figures at midnight or walked into rooms that were colder and then the door was locked. And, you know, this is is right here on the The old shadow people. Yeah. Or out of the corner of your eye, you see something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So I just— There's so much we could talk about. So here's my question for both of you then. Do you feel that this was happening to you guys because you had opened a door in a negative fashion, like through something that, you know, we know that sin opens a door, gives them, but, or do you feel like it was because you were, your intent was to be closer with God and build your relationship with Jesus, therefore... It's, it mm-hmm. gave the dark side some yeah. panic, so they had to—I guess my theory is that, you know, um, those that 
are most dangerous to the devil he works the hardest on sure. kind of thing. That, yeah. Because he, he doesn't have to work as hard for the ones that he already has. Right. It's, he, it's the ones that are the most dangerous to him. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that thought? I I think it works both ways, honestly, because you have some people that are totally comfortable and they still get, I'm not totally comfortable, but living a life they shouldn't, and they do get creepy stuff like this happening to them. They do see shadow people, and they're not necessarily believers, but you ha they have these sorts of encounters. And then, at least personally for me, I do believe what I experienced was because I was seeking to pursue the Lord as he opened my eyes to his word, as he opened my eyes to prayer, I think it was I think it was a response on the enemy's part to try and trip me up, to try and put fear into my heart and to try and keep me from pursuing what the Lord had for me. So I, I see it both ways. I think it's Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's both. It sounded like it. it. Sounded like you were trying to get closer with him and Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It was a personal attack on me by by Satan and his forces. Have you never noticed when you go to read your Bible that you get really sleepy? Yeah. Yeah. It happens yeah. every time. That, I heard that's a demonic uh, tactic. I've of heard theirs. of that. Yeah. Kind of slothfulness or disinterest or something like that just overwhelms you and you're like, eh, I don't really care right. about reading this. Nope. But Apathy. I mean, that was one of the symptoms that I was reading. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to get into this at some point, but just my my own struggles with like being angry at God and, and allowing a devil, you know, like a demonic force to control you. Um, yeah, next episode, I, I'd like to share a little bit of my own. Go deep into the testimonies? Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll make it more of a testimonial. Um, okay. I guess just uh, those of you listening, um, yeah, give feedback. You know, what stories do you have? What have you experienced? What questions do you have? What, what did we not talk about? What did we not... Um, address uh this is a huge topic and this is just like barely gracing the top the, the top of it so yeah i think uh, it's a really important topic that christians don't talk about enough mm -hmm. uh, it's happening all the time we know it it says it right there you know we mm. quoted all the yeah. scriptures but we don't actually act like that in our day-to-day -day life yeah you know we don't we don't imagine because we can't see we can only see what we can see yeah. in our spectrum but we don't see the things that are happening around us that are actually happening because yeah. our eyes can't pick them up. So yeah. I think it's something that we all as Christians need to yeah, pay closer how do we attention fight back? to. Yeah, yeah, how do we fight back? Yeah, so we'll be we'll be getting that more next time. Um, thank you for joining us, uh, and I pray that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye. Toodles.